You're listening to a message from Mercy Culture Church, home of Pastor Landon and Heather Schott in Fort Worth, Texas. For more information about Mercy Culture and ways that you can be a part of it, visit mercyculture.com. Can we just give it up for Jesus 10 times louder? Come on. He's due all of the glory, all of the praise, all of our adoration. Come on, not just your religious yell, Jesus, you are King of Kings, our Lord of Lords. Jesus, today we came to hear from you. We came to worship you, King Jesus. We came today to hear from your throne room. So we ask that your presence would come be magnified, that your voice would be clear, that you would shake us out of our comfortability, that you would awaken our spirit men and women, that you would transform our minds. We declare the mind of Christ. Father, that we would discern the hour that we are in, that we would not be Christians, Father, that are walking according to the songs that are being played in this world on our happy, merrily way. But Father, I pray that our spirits would be awakened to the sound of the thunder, oh God, that is coming from heaven, that is shaking the earth in these moments. Father, that we would be people that are full of your revelation, full of your word, full of your truth, full of your joy, full of your strength and your freedom. Let us be heralds of your good news in this hour. So Lord, even right now, we just submit our mind, our heart, our ways, our will to you, our ideas, all of it, Jesus. This morning, would you transform us that we would hunger for more of you, that one outpouring would not fill us. But Jesus, every time that you pour out, every time that you come, it causes us to be more and more and more hungry for you. So Lord, I even pray, if that's a thing, Lord, for a spirit of hunger to come into this place right now. Fill us with a spirit of hunger for your ways, for your word, for your truth, for your presence, for every part of who you are, Jesus, to know every part of you, Yahweh, to know every part of what they sung about you today, Jesus. Father, we hunger for you. So we say, come, come, come and abide. Come and have your way today. Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Ooh, he's in the room. He's in the room. That's where I want to be, where he is. I want to share with you, some of you, before I get into the message, may have heard and just following social media this week that Pastor Steve and Esther... uh, their baby boy, boy, Mordecai, that they had on a Wednesday went to be with Jesus. And so uh, it's interesting this season that we're in of the highs and the lows of his outpouring and then the lows of mourning that you can experience. And I know many of you following along and love the panates have been mourning with us this week. And what I wanted to just uh, encourage the body of Christ in before I get into this message is that the enemy always comes to try to steal faith and power from a community that is believing for miracles, signs, and wonders. Do you know that they accused Jesus and laughed at him and said, what kind of a God would kill his son? If you're truly God's son, then you can call upon him to just save you right now. But Jesus did not have an earthly mind. He had a heavenly one. I want to encourage you of the leaders, the type of leaders that God has sent this house and through the Panates, Elder Steve and Esther Panate, Pastor Steve and Esther Panate, is I have been shaken by their faith in watching them through this process. They have known for a long time the complications 
with their baby and decided to privately bring it before the Lord. And I watched them prepare to give their son Mordecai to the Lord. This shakes some of our faith because I think we always believe that faith says because God is able, he will. When I am completely now, after watching Pastor Steve and Esther, more convinced when I look at Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego that they had decided to burn for Jesus. So what is the greater faith that says, oh no, he's going to show up and save us? Or no, I'm willing in front of all of you to say whether he shows up or not, he is still God and I'm going to declare it now so that you know whether he shows up or not, but we are completely prepared to burn for him. This is the faith that I watched our pastors and elders walk in in the last few months. I am so honored to know them. I am so proud of them. And as we were dedicating the baby on Wednesday to the Lord before he passed, the word that kept coming up in my spirit over and over was this word offering. And I was reminded of Abraham with Isaac willing to obey, to worship, to bring an offering, his promised son, no matter the cost. Jesus, make us a people, no matter the cost, that we obey, that we submit, that we trust, that Father, you would invade our worlds, our desires, our understanding. And Lord, I declare Mercy Culture Church will be a people that declares, let your will be done. Not our will, but Jesus, let your will be done. Church, this is what I felt we were just supposed to do is even an offering this morning is give a praise to God. Can we just give a praise unto him? <laughs> Jesus, you're a miracle working God. We believe, we trust that you're a good, good father. Whether you answer, whether you don't, whether you show up, all the glory and all the praise. Father, we declare the peace of God supernatural over the Panates. In Jesus' mighty name, let your comfort and your power and your presence be mighty and supernatural. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. He's good. So this morning, as we transition into the message, we are starting a, a new series. And I'm so excited about it. If last week you saw the timeline that was up on the screen uh, that Landon had as he was ministering, that there was strategic, um, strategic messages that he had prayed into that the Lord was causing us to share, to speak on, to preach on, to minister on, to fortify the foundations of this house. Of this house. And so this morning we start a, a new series called Strengthening the Foundation of Our Faith. This is so important and this is so exciting because I believe we are in end times. 
We don't know where we are at in that time period, but what we do know is what the Bible says, that in end times that there will be signs. We have experienced multiple signs that the Bible talks about that will happen before his coming or before his return. One of those things that I will be getting into even more thoroughly into the message is this, that the Bible warns us that in those times, beware of the false teachers, of the false prophets, of the wrong theologies and teachings, because it is coming to snare, not the world, but it is coming to snare the believers of Christ. It is coming so that people would fall away from the faith right before his return. So I believe that this series is so important because many Christians, maybe even in mercy culture, we love his presence. But if somebody asked us, what do we believe and why, we would already be shook in our faith because we don't know how to answer that question or to truly be a herald of a, of a word and a Bible that we don't know. On top of it, we see all of these YouTube preachers, social media, with everybody's opinions of what's happening in the world and their opinions of who Jesus is. Let me break this down for you. If your faith is built upon what some YouTube preacher, what some social media preacher, or what your friend says about Jesus because you love them, that you believe their opinion, you are going to find out very quickly that your faith is not what you thought and all of a sudden will be a shaky, not a fortified foundation. And when the storms begin to come, when the pandemics come, when the fear messages through the media come, all of a sudden you are shaken because your foundation is not on the word of God and it is not on an intimate relationship with Jesus and being uh, planted in the house of the Lord, but it is by the hearsay of what you have heard about him instead of what you have encountered with him. So this morning I am teaching on a message called this, Who is Jesus? You can text notes to 59090 to follow along. I have a lot of scripture for you this morning. I also very quickly want to give you a resource because this morning I'm going to be going into um, so some, some topics, but we don't have a lot of time. I could literally do a series on this this morning. But an amazing resource in two days, Dr. Michael Brown, who helped me build this message this morning, is releasing a book called this, Why So Many Christians Have Left the Faith. He's releasing it in two days. I believe God is just orchestrating so many beautiful things right now. I didn't know until I talked to him this week that it was being released in two days. The, the um, barcode, can you put it back up there, is on there if you want to pre-order it. But I encourage you to get this book to make sure you are sure that your faith is based upon truth. Because this is the hour we will find out. Let's go to Matthew 16, verse 13 through 20. This is Peter's confession of Christ. It says this, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he questioned his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, Jesus asked? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter on all that rock. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he admonished the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. So Jesus, we say, come and all, who, all of who you are. Come, spirit of revelation. Teach your people 
secure our foundation of faith in you and in the truth. I pray whatever deception thinks it made its way into this place, whatever deception has made its way into the minds of the body of Christ, into the spirits of the body of Christ, I say go right now in the name of Jesus. Spirit of deception, you have no place in this room. You have no place in the bride. So we say go. Holy Spirit, come. Come with your truth. Come with your revelation and draw us nearer to you, Jesus. Everybody said amen and amen. So there are a lot of ideas that we are hearing about who Jesus is in this hour. Some of you may be shocked because you are so planted and grounded in the word and in your encounters to hear some of the ideas about Jesus. But let me tell you this, let not pride be puffed up today in thinking that you know all of who Jesus is. Because Jesus and his message, it is simple, but the moment you begin to dive into the names and who Jesus is and the facets of all of who Jesus is, you realize there are not enough hours, there are not enough days in our lifetime to fully know all of who Jesus is. But in this, we have found that the body of Christ has begun to make idols of their ideas of Jesus. And the reason why we have made idols of these ideas of who Jesus is, is just like the word of God, we have found ourselves picking and choosing what pieces or what sides of Jesus we want. I'll take the mercy side of Jesus, but all this justice stuff, I don't know about that. I'll take the grace side of Jesus, but every time they start preaching the truth, man, my flesh sure is offended. Man, I don't know. I, the way that they say it sounds really harsh. Sounds like many who listen and even the believers and followers of Jesus that said, how can I receive this message? In fact, when he began to preach on the communion that you're going to have to eat of me, my flesh and drink my blood, it says at that message, many believers left that day because they were offended at the side or the message of Jesus they were hearing in that moment. And this is what the body of Christ has done. We have decided what pieces of Jesus creating this idol in our minds of what we want to worship, who we want to be close to, and not letting the judge come in and rule in our lives. Not letting the holiness come in and refine the parts and pieces of our life that we want untouched. This is making idols. I wanna break down three misrepresentations of Jesus or three idols that we have created and ideas of Jesus this morning. There are many. But these were the three that I felt like Jesus highlighted to me. And the first one, it's going to sound funny, especially with the Jesus Revolution movie uh, coming out. But the first one is this, is hippie Jesus. We have created this idol of this hippie Jesus. He's all peace. He's all love. He accepts us as we are. Once we receive Christ, then, then it doesn't matter the life that we live. He is the holy and the righteous one. But I can continue living on this life of how I want. And I've, I've also seen in, in these hippie Jesus believers that whatever is natural or Jesus created is okay to go ahead and smoke and take in. And, and, and Jesus, he, you know, he created these things. These are natural things. And we have created a comfortable Jesus as if he was undisciplined. As if he didn't crucify his flesh and say, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to carry your cross also. You're going to have to follow after me, not just with my cross. You're going to have to carry your cross and crucify that flesh that wants to rule you. See, we've created this hippie Jesus as if holiness is offensive. 
Can you not? Well, what is the definition? What's your definition of righteousness? Because see, when you say the word righteousness, all of a sudden, I just, I feel less than good. You should. Because when we begin to talk about how good he is, that's what's so awesome. We are humbled in his presence about how imperfect we are. And it causes us to drop to our knees to say, Jesus, I need you. So we have this idea that Jesus affirms and accepts us as we are. Some of you are like, yeah, I thought he did this morning. Jesus does not affirm our sin or our sinful lifestyles. So I don't know what your definition of acceptance is, but if it's the world's, the word is either going to be twisted and distorted when you read it because you are reading through the lens and the definitions that the world said is compassion, that the world said is love, that the world says is acceptance, And if you are reading the word of God through the lens of the redefining of God's words and God's language, you are going to be a confused bride. Because the world says that love is acceptance. If you love me, you accept me. So now our perception becomes Jesus loves me, so he accepts me as I am. Church, what is your definition of acceptance? You want to know what I believe acceptance is? Is that one day at the end of my life when I get before those pearly golden gates that he says, come on in my good and faithful servant. That is acceptance. Yet we have made Jesus who is love and many scriptures and the word of God will actually prove very indifferent to what the world has made love sound like. See, Jesus is your friend. Let me tell you, he is not your homie. Your youth pastors and all those t-shirts came out where like Jesus is my homeboy, like going like this. And I'm like, what? Jesus is not my, he's my Lord. He is holy. He is not our homie. The word of God does say that Jesus is your friend, but listen to the scripture when he declares that you are his friend in John 15, 12 through 15. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that somebody lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants for the servant that does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. So he is saying, those that I call friends are those that I love. And how do I show my love? By giving up my life for you. And we are offended at a message that says, wait, I don't have to change. Jesus accepts me as I am. We are saying this to a Messiah that died for us. That we don't want to give up our sin. That he actually already paid the price for. So that we could just freely walk out of the sinful lifestyle. He is love. And because he loves us so much, he died for us so that grace would empower us to overcome and be set free from sin, not live in it. So church, he does not affirm your sin or sinful lifestyle. He loves you where you're at, but he is the friend that comes to you and says, no, don't do that. You're going to destroy your life. You're going to destroy your marriage. You're going to destroy your children. Don't you know I died for that? That's the friend that he comes. He comes in that spirit to come and convict you. When that lying, grace-filled sermon that says grace allows you to stay in your sin. Oh, and he comes. If that was true, why does he convict you? And if he is coming to convict you, to set you free, why are you silencing his conviction? 
You're saying, no, not now, not freedom right now. Let me stay in my bondage. Let me stay in my sin, the things that you gave your life for. Jesus, I declared earlier, is the righteous and the holy one. Acts 3.14 tells us when they call him the holy and righteous one, it says this, you rejected the holy and righteous one because his holiness and his righteousness is offensive to those that don't hunger for it. To those that want their current sinful lifestyles to be affirmed or accepted, can I tell you, he is never going to affirm nor accept it. This other mindset of once saved, always saved mentality is also part of this idol, of this hippie Jesus. That once I give my life to him, I'm always saved and it doesn't really matter how I live my life. Can I tell you this morning, yes, you can turn your back on Jesus. You can fall away from Jesus. Some of you might say, prove it. I'll prove it to you. There's multiple scriptures, but let's go to Hebrews 10, 26 through 31. It says this straight up. If we deliberately go on sinning after we have received the knowledge of truth, no further sacrifice for sin remains. Just when you think it's not going to go deeper. That was straightforward. I can stop right there. But then it keeps going. But only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume all adversaries adversaries, or those who what? Deliberately go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of truth. So also for those that are trying to declare there's no hell and they're trying to take apart the word of God and deconstruct, I don't know if necessarily that they call it hell, but I would like to not be the one going to judgment in a raging fire that will consume me completely for all eternity. So whatever you want to call that, the word of God describes hell over and over for those that do not call on his name and allow his blood to renew us. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, what he died for, that we would receive what he did and that we would be made new, that the old is gone and the new has come. That's what he died for. That's our promise. Let me keep going in it. Verse 28 says, anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think one deserves to be punished who has trampled on the Son of God, profaned the blood of the covenant that sanctified him and insulted the spirit of grace? Many have preached this sermon of insulting the spirit of grace to religious bigot leaders like Landon and I or Dr. Brown that preaches the truth as if that is what insults the spirit of grace when we preach on truth. Let me tell you what insults the spirit of grace is by preaching a perverted grace message that leads his bride astray from what he paid for. Isn't it interesting that we have seen so many, and this is not to cause division in the body of Christ, but the word of God says that we should judge a man by his fruit. And so if we have seen many of these men and women falling into sin after extreme grace messages, then where is the fruit if that was the truth? Come on, he is calling us into a more intimate relationship with him, the one with fire in his eyes so that his fire would begin to refine us and his holiness and righteousness might be reflected within us. Why? So that the rest of the world, they don't see perfection, but they see a people on fire, humbled, talking more about their weaknesses than their strength. And they are looking at an upside down world saying, where are you from? But wherever you are from, I want what you have. Peace in the fire. Fearing the Lord is to love him so much that it causes your desire or your love for sin to leave. 
that there's no room to serve two masters. Your love for him can grow to such a degree that it casts out any love for any unholy thing. This is what the fear of the Lord produced. The second way is this angry Jesus. The second idol that we have created is an angry Jesus, that Jesus is mad at you, he is disappointed in you, and he is not answering your prayers because of it. He is not speaking to you because of it. You have sickness in your body because of it, and a persecuting spirit comes with your idol of angry Jesus to come in to try to provoke you, that God has forsaken you, he has left you, he has made you sick, He has destroyed your family, all because he is angry with you. Can I tell you the truth this morning? Jesus is your mediator. He is standing between heaven and this earth. He is interceding for you. He is interceding for your body, but more than your body, he cares more about your spirit and where you will spend eternity in. He is interceding for your family. He is interceding for your children. He is interceding over your weaknesses and your struggles. And he is there as a coach in your ear when the enemy, see this is so interesting, the enemy comes so loud. But the whispers of the Holy Spirit, we have to be a bride that is so intimate with him that we don't listen to the noise and the loudness of the devil of Satan, but that our spirits are awakened when we hear that whisper, that comfort. Keep going. Keep kneeling, keep casting your cares, keep believing, keep asking for a miracle, and he's there interceding for you, church. He is not an angry savior. He is a compassionate one. The word of God says over and over again that what he healed because of his compassion. He went after the lost because of his compassion. One of the greatest Demons I have overcome in my life is the spirit of shame. The demon of shame. I spend years, I don't have a lot of time to go into it, but I spend years in sin, drug, alcohol, addiction, just all of it. Any type of sin you can imagine, I was in it. And then God radically saves me. Literally, as I'm trying to sin, every single time I'm trying to sin, in my dark place, here shows up his light. He begins to deliver me from it all. And I meet a man named Landon, a young boy at the time. <laughs> and I meet him, and he, he starts inviting me to church. And I remember going into this wild Pentecostal church, not understanding anything around me but just closing my eyes and feeling the waves of the glory of God. And the thing that stood out most to me was his peace. I said, this is what I want my new addiction, my new obsession to be, is this peace every single day of my life. He helped delivered me of these demons, but the greatest one was yet to come. And it was what a religious spirit that was found in the church And it came to bring shame on me. That all of the sudden, I was worthy enough for him to come into these dark places to set free, to heal, to deliver. But all of the sudden, now that I'm worshiping in the house of God, I'm not worthy to be here. This is not God. This is not his spirit. This is a demon church. So every time that you feel foolish to lift your hands, every time you feel unworthy to get in that car when you're fighting with your spouse and your kids and you're smacking and you're doing the whole thing and, you're, and you walk into this place and you feel, I'm unworthy, I'm imperfect. It is the enemy trying to get you to backpedal out of the very place that Jesus has been interceding and mediating for you to walk into. What does shame do? Shame separates you from Christ. We see it in the garden with Adam and Eve. Right after Eve takes a bite of that fruit, what? It says that she ran and she hid. What does the Bible say? That God came walking in after them to find them. So many of you, Jesus is calling you this morning. 
he is coming after you when shame has put a wall in between you and him, making you feel like you're not worthy enough to come into his presence, to hear his voice, to worship him, to lift hands, to kneel and weep at an altar or in your closet. This morning, I believe he is tearing down walls of shame to come after his bride. And see, when that wall of shame came down for me, the idol of that perception of angry Jesus came down. And this heavenly confidence began to replace that shame. See, God is so good. He does not just tear down idols or demons or strongholds. He replaces it with beautiful things. And he comes and he replaces it, the shame, with a beautiful heavenly confidence that you know you are a son and daughter adopted into the kingdom of heaven as his son and daughter with a great inheritance. And not just for you, but from your generation, generations down. See, Jesus is Savior. We see this with a Samaritan woman in John 4:42, where he came and told her everything she had ever done. <laughs> he said, I'm just gonna tell you so we can get that shame wall down. I already know it all. And so if we can just get that all out in the open, now we can have an intimate moment so that you know that I came and I waited by this well just for you today. I believe he's waiting for just you, just you today, saying I'm ready for this wall of shame so God can make himself clear as a savior to you. It's interesting because not only did he set her free, but he anointed her <laughs> as a herald and preacher to her town. Just for all those religious ones out there trying to say women can't preach, lead, and pastor, it's really funny that Jesus broke down all of the cultural barriers and is meeting with a Samaritan woman at a well to set her free, who happened to be one of the worst sinners, and then anoints her to go and declare who he is. And it says in verse 42, they said to the woman, we now believe not only because of your words, but now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man truly is the savior of the world. It was a sinner Samaritan woman that God anointed as a preacher that brought revival and reformation to a town. That's what a savior will do in your life if you allow him to fully come in. Luke 19, 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He came to seek you out this morning. He came to seek you out despite that shame. We declare shame go in Jesus' mighty name. Holy Spirit, come. For Father, you are coming to save the lost this morning. If you do not know Jesus, you can intimately at your seat right now ask for Jesus to come into your life. Make him Lord and Savior. Repent for your sin right now. Just sitting in your seat, you can pray that prayer. And the third is this idol. This historical and futuristic Jesus. I love this because this was my title for it of how I saw it. And I got to lean into Dr. Brown and he gave me some theological terms for this as I described it. But I felt like some of these names would hit us and we would understand by these titles. And this is what I have seen with this idol. Is that the body of Christ has believed in the Jesus of the Bible you believe he did the works, you believe he died on the cross, you believe he was risen on the third day and he's coming back again. That's a futuristic Jesus, that you believe all of the promises that he's coming back for his bride. But the church has acted like in this in-between stage that he is nowhere to be seen. There is no relationship there is no power. There is no evidence of, of the gifts of the Spirit. In fact, many churches are like what I grew up when I was younger, where they would talk about Jesus like this historical figure, but I slept. I slept through the services because there was no evidence he was real. 
Do you know that your relationship with Jesus or your daily encounters is evidence that he is real? When you hear his voice, it is evidence that he is alive. Not that he once was and that he is coming again. But the word of God says that what? He is the same God of yesterday, today, and forevermore. He is not just the God of yesterday and tomorrow. He is a present God. So this is what Dr. Brown, I'm not going to pretend I'm smart enough to come up with some of this, that he led me through. Multiple ways that we see the body of Christ not operating in the present with the presence. The first is what we call orthodox deism, and the second is functional sensationalist. Don't worry, don't sweat. I'm going to break this down very simply for you. If you know the difference between deism and theism, deism is this, that those that believe that a God created the earth, they believe that he created the earth, but what they don't believe is, is that the creator has anything to do. Once he created it, he stepped away and no longer had anything to do with the humans that he created. They do not believe in the supernatural because that would mean that he was manifesting himself on the earth. They believe he created, he was done. Theism is those that believe that God created the earth, but they also believe that God interacts with those that he, uh, that he created on the earth. And so this orthodox deism is what we see many of these churches in other denominations that we think of as old churches, where they believe that God created the earth, but there is no manifestation of his glory. There is no presence. There is no weeping and sorrow in his presence. The second way is this that we see as almost the new church that has arised in the last decade of what we would call functional sensationalist. And these are those that are, uh, the, this theism word, they believe that God created the earth and they believe that he still interacts. They believe everything the word of God says about him, yet they don't allow him to operate in their church. I don't know which one is worse. I'll let him be the judge. But one that says we don't believe he's operating in the earth and the other that says we believe he will, he can, just not through this church, just not through this service. We don't have enough time. Uh, people will get uncomfortable and they'll stop giving and then they're going to leave and then, and then there's empty seats and they begin to build services and churches around their ideas of Jesus and leave out his presence. Both are operating in deception and a lack of his authority and power. I declared that he is the God of the past, future, and present. His presence is present today, so why would we not allow him to flow and reveal himself in every part of who he is and his nature in every day of our life? He declared, I am, meaning he is the existing one. That is what I am means. The existing one. Existing means this, something which is now present or available available or in current operation. Jesus is operating today. In fact, I believe we are about to experience, we have already begun to experience an outpouring, but we are on the verge of one of the greatest revivals our nation has ever seen. And I don't say this in an emotional way, but I can't help it, but to expect that his spirit, that, that Jesus is coming back again soon. And so why, why would he pour out so that he would prepare a great harvest for himself? Jesus said, I am the I am. John 8, 57 through 58, then the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham mocking him. Truly, truly, I tell you, Jesus declared, before Abraham was born, I am or what I existed. And I am here now and exist in front of you. Do you see me? Do you know me? Church, if he is present now, 
Do you know who Jesus is? Do you know him? Because since the beginning of time, Jesus has been questioned on who he was. People searching of who he was by asking questions of others and what their opinions of who this Messiah was. See, it's interesting that the Pharisees and these people, when the reputation and the words and the swirls start to come out, instead of saying, I have to track down this Messiah and see for myself in his presence who this king is, who this savior, who this Messiah is, they begin to listen to the reports of others. Church, if you don't hunger for a daily encounter, you are coming every Sunday to hear about my daily encounters, Pastor Jasmine's daily encounters, Danny's daily encounters, and it will not suffice. It will not allow your faith to stand the test of times if you do not run into his presence and find out for yourself who is this man, Jesus. It was interesting that those that ran into his presence, they were either the ones that became madly in love with him and became his followers or became offended at him. And when you run into your, his presence, when you run into this place, when he begins to confront your flesh, you are either going to, be, going to become madly in love with him and press in for more and humble yourself, or you will become offended with him and fall astray at potentially one of the most critical hours. See, the Bible is the most powerful book in the earth. Jesus, the most powerful man that ever walked this earth, and his greatest love is you. And if the world is after power and redefining love, do you think potentially the greatest war we have ever seen will be over this power, will be over his word, will be over who Jesus is and the love he has for you? We're in it. We are in that war right now where he is coming after the body of Christ to sway us away from our Messiah. He warns us of it in Matthew 24. Jesus answered, see to it that no one deceives you for many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ or meaning I am the anointed one. Any prideful preachers that say, no, I'm the anointed one, listen to me, I'm the only one preaching the truth. They may not come saying I am Jesus Christ, but they will come as anointed ones. And it says this, and will deceive many. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets or teachers will appear and deceive many people. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive. Even if possible, the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. Jesus is saying, I am warning you now. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So three quick ways for practical advice to not become deceived in this hour, church. Know your word. Know your word. But let me even give you this statement. If you are reading your word to defend what you already believe, you are using the word of God as your own weapon so that what your opinion says becomes those false teacher's words for those burning ears around you. All of us have circles. We read the word of God to find truth, to know him more. When we read and open up that word, every single time we humble ourselves, we lay down our opinions and our ways, and we say, Lord, teach us your ways that we may know you and find favor. So one is know your word. And you will see in this book, if you get of Dr. Brown's, he gives many examples of teachers, worship leaders that have fallen away that were theologians. I have to just pause on this really quick. I know I'm running out of time. 
They were theologians because when they read the word, it became about trying to figure out God. Figure out Jesus. Can I tell you, your job is not to figure him out. He is God. That's where faith comes into play. That when I read Matthew and John and it sounds like it's conflicting, I begin to submit myself and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit takes over my intellectual mind and begins to show me an actual full and clearer picture of how Matthew saw and how John saw and I actually have a fuller picture when the enemy was saying how can it be true because they don't support each other when you read the word invite the Holy Spirit in it is not to figure him out it is to solidify it is to fortify your faith in Jesus number two stay planted in the house of the Lord it sounds funny from your pastor but I need to say it because many of theologians fell away, then maybe they didn't have the pastors or the leaders they were submitted to to be able to challenge them when theologies or questions and the enemy came at them with accusations to make sure that clarity and a sound mind, the mind of Christ was upon them. This is why it's so important that you are planted in the house of the Lord where you will flourish, the Bible says, but so that you have accountability, you have community, and you are purposefully, intentionally submitting yourself despite what the world says about submission. And the third is this, daily encounters. You must daily encounter. And it's in this place where deception doesn't get to speak to you all week, the voice of the Lord gets to speak to you all week. Are you protecting what is most valuable to him? Are you solid in the word of God and your foundation of faith? Are you solid and consistent in your daily encounters so that when those demons come to persecute you, that you will not be shaken. Worship team, come up. I believe Jesus rebuked those demons because he didn't want the people hearing what the demons had to say. Even though they were declaring what was true, he knew why they were declaring what was true. That they could sway the people from the truth. And some of you throughout the week listen to demons' voices more than you do Jesus's. If his power and his authority is in you, why are you playing with demons and listening to them? Why are you allowing that anxiety to rise up within you? Why are you questioning the call of God, the prophetic words over your family? Why are you questioning the things that Jesus has promised you, that he has called you to be a herald of his good news and all of a sudden that fear comes over you and you begin to retreat instead of tell those people about Jesus? You are spending church too much time listening to the demons instead of casting them out. If we would be a pride that soaked and drenched ourselves in his word, in his presence, and in his temple. Do you know what kind of bride we would look like? One ready for his return. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Mercy Culture Church. If this podcast has blessed you, we'd like to encourage you to share it with a friend. To learn more about us, find us on social media and online at mercyculture.com. 